Pharmacists are more than just the prescriptions we give out. Learn how to document and justify your value. Welcome to Level Up Your Pharmacy Practice, a podcast you can tune into each week to learn about best practices, new technologies, and staffing resources to level up your pharmacy practice. In this week's conversation, Jake Caldo talks with Randy McDonough, co-owner of Towncrest Pharmacy Corp., about how they've brought revenue into their pharmacies through one, being an interventionist, two, documenting clinical services on their 10K sheets, and three, hiring candidates who demonstrate the pharmacy of the future and provide a safer environment. So Randy, in our conversation, you've mentioned wanting to hire more and more pharmacists for these non-traditional roles that we typically think of. And it's the things that we want uh, our students to do. It's what we train our students to do in school. We say, you can be a pharmacist. You can be a clinical pharmacist. And intrinsically, everybody says, oh, I don't want to work in a hospital. I'm like, no, you can be clinical in the community. Had that argument with many associations and other things. So I know that as we've talked about this, you told us that you haven't dispensed a drug in close to a decade at this point, despite being in a pharmacy every single day. So tell me and help us understand what does your job description look like for a pharmacist nowadays, since it's not dispensing drugs. And then we're going to kind of talk about how to identify that candidate that you hire. Yeah. First of all, I would say probably a decade is probably embellishing it more, but I would say for sure in the past uh, two years, I have not dispensed any type of a medication. As far as the decade, we started, you know, I've been at Towncrest Pharmacy since 2006, and we started that whole um, process, that journey uh, to free up the pharmacist. And that's also how we started evolving the pharmacist role. So when we look at pharmacists now, Jake, and we look at what's their description of their job, we want to make sure they understand that yeah, they still might be in the process of filling the prescription or the workflow, but their main responsibility is no longer just making sure the the right drug is in the right bottle for the right patient with the right directions. Uh, Because again, using the technology and using the new rules and regs of the Board of Pharmacy, where you can have a technician product verification, the role of the pharmacist has evolved to make sure that they're evaluating and assessing the medications for the patient. And we really got multiple ways you can do that, but one of the primary ways for us, we call it on the run or quick clinical. So it really requires the pharmacist to think on their feet to evaluate the information that's presented to them. And as we've talked about in the past, we had developed a a software system called FarmClin that pulls information from our dispensing system and repurposes or reformats into a clinical record. So they quickly can assess that record to make a determination, does the patient have a medication-related problem or at least a potential one for which I need more information and gather that information to make my final assessment and then make an intervention. Again, I've talked about pharmacists being interventionist, make an intervention to ensure that the patient's medications are optimized. 
So it's collecting the information, it's assessing the information, it's becoming an interventionist. So it's very action oriented where I want the pharmacist proactively working with the patients to optimize their medications. I mean, so I hope when people walk into the pharmacy, you guys just have run DMC uh, looping in the background because everybody knows that you're quote on the run. Uh, <laughs> but I love it. So, I mean, what you're saying is that we don't go from the big bottle to the little bottle as Jerry Seinfeld likes to think of what pharmacists really do. And so that's not concrete. That's not how you operationalize it. And so if you have this forward thinking viewpoint where we are doing the quick clinical actions, you know, yes, that's what they teach us in pharmacy school. But for the most part, the perspective of community pharmacy in pharmacy school is big box chain, which is the majority. So there's nothing wrong with going with the majority. And so how do you identify and how do you hire someone that might have this idea and notion of what community pharmacy is, but then when they come to you, that's not what you know, the day in day out looks like. Right. And I would tell you that what's more important to us now is the attitude of the person that we're interviewing and what their vision is for pharmacy themselves. And to be real honest, anymore is probably more of those people who have gone through some type of a residency training where they're looking at what their job is to be, is to be more clinical, to ensure uh, medication optimization with the patients, to work collaboratively with other healthcare providers. And so those who have been residency trained are looking for that type of engagement. And so really a lot of the candidates now, in fact, most of the candidates that we interview for these kind of positions are residency trained. Does that mean that a person who hasn't done a residency trained program is not someone we're going to look at? No, I've got people who have been very engaged and excited about this role uh, that we've hired and done a very good job being a clinical pharmacist for us. So I'm not excluding other pharmacists. It's just that those who have been residency trained, their mindset is already there. Whereas someone who has been practicing in another setting where they were still just really about medication and, and filling a medication, we got to reposition their minds to be thinking, okay, you got a system that supports you to do that. What I want you to focus in is on the patient care. I love it. All right. So now here's the $120,000 question. Yep. How do you afford it? Yeah, that's a really good question because I think about that all the time. As we bring people on, we also talk about the importance that we have to bring in revenue to support them. And as we've mentioned multiple times before, the changes that we've made, the hires that we've made have been very incremental because we have to make sure we have revenue that supports it. Remember, when we talk about freeing up the pharmacist in this quick clinical, as they're evaluating patients' medications, they're also doing other things, right? They're doing immunizations. They may be doing point-of-care testing which includes COVID-19 or other types of tests that we're doing. We may bring them along to a clinic where we're doing other specialized services for a client. So these pharmacists are really renaissance, you know, people where they're, they're doing everything, right? They're part of the workflow, but we're also, they're clinical. They maybe actually do a sit down or they may be doing all the quick clinical or they may go to a clinic with us. So they're very capable individuals, but I tell you how exciting is that uh, for these individuals to be able to do that. So everything we do now has to be with revenue in mind. So let's talk about that. If it's on the counter and it's part of the workflow, I want them to make sure that we're optimizing all of our metrics as it relates to the equip platform, right? I want to make sure we're not going to have DIR fees that are going to be maximized against us, but we minimize them because we're hitting some of the clinical metrics that we need to be hitting and being a top 20% pharmacy. They got to be available. So when 
today is a classic example. We are booked solid. And we have been for several weeks now with COVID-19 boosters, flu shots, and testing. Everybody's been cross-trained. So technicians and pharmacists. So that pharmacist who might be in the workflow may have to step out for a minute to be able to do an immunization. You know, we have systems in place though, again, because we have technology and, and technicians who can do the final product verification until the pharmacist gets back to be able to talk to the patient and do their evaluation of the drug therapy. So all this stuff is happening real time. It's bringing in new revenue, which supports hiring those people. So that's how you afford it over time. It's incremental. You have to be very intentional about when you hire someone with the understanding that, you know, as we hire you, we got to bring in new revenue. The new revenue sources are going to be because of the clinical things that you're doing, which includes minimizing DIR fees by making sure we're hitting the metrics that we need to, two, that you're going to be involved in some of the clinical services that we provide. And three, you know, you may be asked to go off site with us to do some of these other clinics that we do that bring in revenue. And that's how you support yourself. That's how you support the practice. That's how you support the profession. I love it. And I love how actionable it is because again, I can take myself at a, at an independent here in, in Alabama and primarily it's one pharmacist, one technician. And, and I swung by there earlier this week just to, to pick up that medicine from a dog and just like a, a gut check status on our pharmacist there. And he, he's a little burned out. He's a little, it's, it's hard, right? It is hard being a pharmacist right now. And, and to your point, you know, it's almost like, what could we do differently? And it's just bring in a second pharmacist. That doesn't sound cost effective. That is that $120,000 question, but incremental steps we could bring in a second pharmacist right now. And that second pharmacist could be managing everything outside of dispensing. And that would allow this bifurcation of what we do. And ultimately, when I hear your model, what I think about is safety. It is such a safe environment when you have production being production and not getting pulled away. You know, you can look at the big chains and they have little like do not disturb mats. They put a little mat down on the counter and when they put their one drug on the mat and the one counting tray, like don't disturb, that's what that person's doing. We have in health systems, these do not disturb zones, or we know that when you disturb someone, error rates increase. And so what I love about what I'm hearing from you is yes, it's about incremental changes, Yes, it's the stepwise approach. Yes, you bring on people and you say at the forefront, this is what you're going to be doing and you've got to bring in revenue to support yourself. But at the same time, you've really created a safe environment because you have separated production and everything else. So then the the lingering question would be, well, I'll let you react to that first before I ask my next question. No, that's fine. What I was going to tell you is that we don't have turnover, right? So the people that we hire, unless they move, <laughs> you know, or they, some takes a job, you know, a spouse or something or a significant other takes a job out of town and they move with them. That's happened a couple of times to us, but for the most part, and then we've had people move back and says, can I have my job back? What I enjoy, Jake, is because I was in those situations that you talk about where it's just a constant process of checking, checking, right? Right drug, right drug, right drug without being professionally satisfied and being worn out at the end of the day. What I'm very appreciative of is the pharmacists who tell me that they really enjoy, they've left, you know, whatever they were at previously, they're in an environment that they do feel safe, they feel supported. And because of that, they wanna do good work for us. I still remember at one of our Christmas parties before COVID-19 hit, one of the spouses 
coming up to me after the Christmas party and thanking me and saying, I have my husband back because they were so overwhelmed with the previous position that they were in where they were a dispensing mill. And uh, this person didn't feel supported whatsoever. Well, this person has a better quality lifestyle because it's not just, you know, the work at the pharmacy where we help them, but it's translated to a better family life as well, too. And that's a good feeling to have because really we're professionals. And really what we went to school for was to help people, but in the environments that have been created over the years because of reimbursement, the way it has been, it's created where you have just a single person, maybe, maybe a technician, maybe not. And, and so the pharmacist is doing a heck of a lot of work and, you know, without much reward professionally or otherwise, and they're burned out. And so we got to create these new environments that really demonstrate the value of pharmacists for the knowledge that they have, the skill sets they have to help patients optimize their medications. They're happier. You create better environments and you create a new revenue source that helps support all this thing. I love it. And really what it boils down to is that the revenue stays local. And I think that that's something to be said as well. It's staying at the store to support the store because when they are all doing better, everything gets better. So, so last question along these same lines, focusing on the, the financial aspect of everything. You know, when you look at 10K reports for pharmacies, for the most part, it is divided between prescription sales and non-prescription sales. Do you separate out clinical services as a different item in that, that sales sheet? Uh, and if you do, awesome, tell us about it. If not, why not? Absolutely, we do. We started that literally the first year I got there because I want to demonstrate what I was doing was of value, right? I'm an owner. I was in another line for ownership salaries. So I wanted to demonstrate what we were doing to support that. So from that first day that I was there, we started creating a separate line item on the financials, which is called clinical revenue or other income because we have both, right? Because we do some other work that might be consulting that benefits the pharmacy because it's the work that we do. So that'd be other income, whereas clinical income or consulting income, whereas clinical income is truly coming from our services. So all the COVID-19, all the flu shots, all the testing that we do, nursing home consulting, you know, the Medicare Part D MTMs that we're doing, all those fit under that type of uh, line item to demonstrate the kind of value that we're doing with clinical services. And that has grown significantly over the years. If you even look at some of the other work we do now with payers that are paying, not based upon product distribution, but on the care of the patient, that's a lot that goes in that line item. So when we demonstrate, we hit the metrics and we get a bonus incentive that goes into that line item of uh, clinical income. So yeah, that has been growing over the years and we have been keeping track of that for the past 15 years now. Awesome. So it almost sounds like that would be the first step, right? We always talk about what is the first step. First step is find out how much money you're bringing in from these non-dispensing services, including vaccinations. I know that that's a squirrely one that some people might say, oh, that's a, that's a prescription I'm putting in my prescription to pull it out because that is something separate. And by doing that, you could almost objectively look at your income and say, look at how much money I've got. I should be paying for a pharmacist just to handle these services. Yeah. And remember, our first hire was not a full-time pharmacist. Our first hire was a part-time pharmacist just to free me up enough that I had, you know, a couple afternoons a week that I could focus in on other things. So again, very incremental. And then we hired, you know, a full-time technician 
then the next move was, you know, can that part-time become a full-time? If not, do we hire another person? And so we slowly grew our staff to where we have a significant number of FTEs, both pharmacists and technicians. And I think I mentioned to you the other day, you know, when I started the total number of employees, which is both part-time and, and full-time, but the total number was probably 12 to 15 with the same number of pharmacies that we have, right? With the services that have been developed over those 15 years, we have 33 today. And so it shows you how we've grown and be able to support that number of employees. So I'm excited, you know, that the future is there. We were able to sustain it. We always have to look at it, right? We always have to look what else can we be doing because there's always a challenge and reimbursement's not getting better as it comes to product distribution. And we're getting hit hard again. We're seeing with the new contracts that are coming out. So we got to be proactive on this and saying, what else can we be doing on a service side to make sure we make up revenue where we may be losing it on the product distribution side. Awesome. Well, thank you, Randy. This has been a very enlightening and practical episode. You know, some of the things that I've heard us talk about is make sure our job description reflects what we want the pharmacist to be doing, not just what they do. It's about pulling out the income associated with clinical services outside of, you know, just prescription revenue. So we understand what kind of money we're really playing with in regards to hiring and supporting our team. And it is then kind of having a bifurcation of product production and everything else so that we have a safe quality environment. You're absolutely right. So I am excited. I think, you know, where I see where we come from at Towncrest Pharmacy, um, where we're at now and where we're going, I see nothing but positive growth for us. So we're excited. Well, thanks, Randy. Until next time. All right. We learned three things from today's episode. The first is that we recognize that pharmacists are always on the run, thinking on their feet, reacting to information being presented to them. That to justify our new services and our new positions, we really have to pull out our 10K report and look not just at prescription and non-prescription sales, but all the other things that we're doing from a clinical service perspective. And finally, the the last thing we, we learned from this episode is it's about hiring the right person to be part of our ship. We all have something to contribute and you want the person that is excited and looking to the future to help take your practice to the future as well.